there and welcome to Real Expo Can. We are so thankful that you guys are joining us today from church. We are excited to spend some time together in the Word of God, the presence of God, and what God wants to do in your life. In this message, Richie is continuing us in the series, The Story of God's People, where we look at Israel in the desert and we ask ourselves the question, what does it look like for us to do the desert well? Let's see what God is up to. Uh, no, glad you're here. My name is Richie, our lead pastor, and I uh, believe God got you here for a reason today. We are in the middle of a conversation unpacking the Old Testament. That's really the first massive chunk of your Bible, and we're doing it just by highlights, kind of big stories, uh, trying to understand the story of God's people. Your story seems maybe uh, difficult at times or insignificant at times, or maybe some of you struggle like feeling like you're the center of the universe of, of your story and everything going on. Uh, this has been a powerful conversation over the last few weeks because we're all starting to understand that we're a part of something massive, something that God has been doing uh, for all of eternity and finding our place within the story of God has been so powerful. I was talking to a, a new person at our church. He's been here just a, a few months, just beginning to know who Jesus is and coming to faith in Jesus and really no understanding at all about any of this story. And uh, I was talking to him last week and he was so excited uh, to hear more from the book of Genesis. And I don't think I've ever heard a church person say that in my life. And, and so I, I was just like, wow, yeah, I'm reading Genesis on my own, trying to understand all this story. And, and, and I just love that, that softness in his heart, that excitement to hear from God. And really that's the invitation for us as we walk in here today is to go, okay, I'm here for a reason. God got me here. Am I ready to hear from God? Is my heart expectant? Is my heart humble and teachable? And God, I want to know what your leadership is. Uh, make your word come alive for us. Like as a church on a mission to reach this world for Jesus one person at a time, it takes equipping for that to happen. Like none of us feel ready to actually accomplish that mission. So God, get us ready. Change us, shape us, speak whatever you need to speak to us today. So my hope is that your heart is that has that kind of anticipation in it today and that uh, you're ready to hear from God. Would you open to Genesis? Actually, let's go to the next book after Genesis, Exodus chapter 16. Chapter 16 is where we'll be today. If you've got a Bible or a Bible app, we'll have stuff on the screen as well. Exodus chapter 16 is where we're going to pick up the story of God's people today. We find God's people in the desert in Exodus. I just got a question for you. Like, how many of you just absolutely love going through hard times? <laughs> yeah. You who put your hands up are lying, okay? No, like none of us, really. Like, we don't sign up for these, these moments at all. We find God's people in a very difficult season in their story. They got here um, in some really miraculous ways. We left off last week with Abraham. God saying, okay, you're going to be the guy that I bless and that I bring uh, all this kind of nation to fruition. And through that people, Israel, I'm going to actually bless all nations. And God was looking for somebody to partner with on this rescue plan to redeem all mankind. And Abraham was that guy and his family began to grow and be prolific. If you were with us in January, we studied the, the story of Joseph's life and how God got Abraham's whole family into Egypt, rescuing them from a massive famine. Well, once they settled in Egypt, then God's people just multiplied and multiplied to the point where Pharaoh was like, 
enough of these Israelites, of these Jewish people. We got to subdue them. They began to enslave them and use them as, as work, as labor force to build the empire of, of Egypt. And uh, the people began to cry out, cry out to God. We're enslaved. We are miserable. We hate this. Rescue us, God. If you really are our God, rescue us. And so God sends a rescuer. He sends Moses. Anybody heard of Moses? I'm just catching you up on a few hundred years of God's church history here. And um, Moses is this powerful leader that God takes from a very weak place to a really strong place to lead God's people out of captivity in Egypt. Um, they All these plagues happen. Uh, they run for their lives out of Egypt, and, and Pharaoh comes after them. The Red Sea opens up. God's people walk across on dry land, uh, collapse the sea on all of Pharaoh and his army, and it's like this miraculous moment. And then God leads them from there straight into the desert. And at Sinai, a couple chapters after where your finger, finger is in your Bible, chapter 19, God makes a promise, a covenant to his people. Moses goes up on the mount, mountain, Mount Sinai. God gives him the Ten Commandments, puts them on these tablets, and he begins this formal relationship. It's actually, in Scripture, it's kind of like a marriage relationship between God and his people. And that moment at Sinai is actually patterns um, for the Jewish kind of traditional wedding ceremony comes from that moment. And it was like God was like, hey, you're my bride. You're my people. We're going to be in relationship. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. And, and I, I am so excited to give you this amazing present as my bride. I am going to lead you into the desert as a gift to you. Again, not a wedding gift any of us would sign up for. But there's something that God understood that these people were immature, that they were weak, that they were complaining, that they were um, easily offended, that they were um, annoying to be around. Uh, and God needed to refine them. And the desert has always been this place where God refines his people, difficulties, hardships. Places where none of us would willingly go but need to go so that we can become who God made us to be. So we find the people in the desert. And one particular story, you got your finger there in Exodus chapter 16. God begins to provide for his people because they, they just came through the Red Sea. They just came out of this crazy escape from Egypt and they are starving to death in the desert. And they begin to complain, like, why didn't God just kill us in Egypt if he brought us out here into the desert to kill us? Like, like this is not a good plan. At least we would have died around the pots of meat that we are eating every day, which is not even true at all. They, they, they were miserable in Egypt. But isn't it crazy how, like, when, when you're in the midst of a hardship, everything in the past seems so much better, right? Like, oh, that was just the best days. There was no pots of meat in Egypt. They were working their hineys off. And they're complaining about not having food. And so God comes to Moses and said, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a dew uh, appear on the ground every morning. And that's going to be uh, a bread, uh, this food, my provision for my people. But I don't want them to take more than just a day's worth uh, because then the next day there'll be 
do again, and they can have enough for that day then. And so just take enough for one day. And then on the sixth day, I want them to take enough for two days because the seventh day is my Sabbath, my command to my people to rest. And so I want them to take enough for two days on the sixth day. And that bread, that'll keep, but the other bread, that won't keep. And, and, and so just make sure you instruct my people in this, Moses. And I want to test them to see if they'll obey me in the desert. Of course, the people don't obey. They stave some try to keep it for those other days and it just gets all maggoty and, and stench nasty. And then, and then on the sixth day, many don't actually get enough for two days. And so they go hungry on the seventh day. And there's kind of these moments of disobedience, complaining like we need meat too, not just bread, God. And so quail, you know, appear in, in the evenings. And then, and then God has this manna every single morning. In this story in Exodus 16, we just see this repeated kind of picture of God's provision, people's grumbling and, and, and lack of contentment with God's provision in their life, but God just continuing to be patient and gracious with his people and God bringing this bread, this manna. It's kind of like what you just had at communion. It's, uh, it's a coriander seed looking little wafer that tastes kind of like honey. And people called it manna because the first thing they asked when they saw it was, what is it? If you translate manna into English, that's what it means. What is it? It's a great name for bread, right? We don't know what this is, but, uh, you know, let's put it in our mouth and give it a try. Exodus 16, verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day, gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them. And I will see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. God is wanting to test his people in this story. When you think test, don't think math test. Don't think pass or fail. Think um, endurance. Think preparation for a marathon. Think get your lungs in shape, get your legs in shape. Get your, get your stamina up. It, it, it's like persevering. It's strengthening. It's enduring. It's stretching. It's refining. This is the kind of test that God was leading his people in the desert for. I want to pray. Just ask God to speak to us and help us find our place in this much larger story. Pray with me. Jesus, we come to you today as we open up the story of your people and where we are in it, God, and just trying to understand, Lord, I just pray that you would give us ears to hear and a heart to to understand what you want to say to us today, God. God, I just ask for your presence to be here. I ask, God, for your grace and your truth to be here in a powerful way, God. I ask for those in the room that don't know you, Jesus, that uh, this would be a moment where they have just clarity about how much you love them, God, and why difficult things are going on in their life, Lord. And I pray for those that have been disgruntled and complaining, God, that this would be a moment, God, of correction, but also of encouragement. We're just trusting, God, that you're going to meet us in this time. We love you. We look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So my wife and I were laughing the other night. I think it was this Tuesday night. Um, uh, I knew that I was going to be preaching on this and been prepping for it. And um, my, my, our staff team, as we were walking through this message prep, um, they were going, hey, Richie, are you going to, share any stories from your life about the desert? I'm like, I don't know, guys. Like, there's nothing really. I'm sure God will give me something. This was um, Tuesday midday. Tuesday night, um, my wife and I are in our basement 
cleaning um, the sewage that is coming up out of our, our sewer line into our, into our awesome finished basement. <laughs> and uh, we're laughing. We're like, for real. You know, like just like a few months ago, our, our pipes froze at Christmas time during those crazy negative uh, temperatures. And just this time last year, our main water line into our house broke. Like those break never. And, and ours broke. And, and so emergency, we're calling all these guys and finally some people get out there and they're able to um, um, get there the next day. I think this was Friday morning. They showed up finally and um, excavate our entire front yard to dig up our sewers. So we have an excavator in a 10 foot deep hole in our front yard right now. Nobody signs up for sewage coming up through your basement, right? And, and, and I love this moment because it's just God just helping me and my story to recognize somehow, some way, God, there's value in all of this. Nothing I would ever sign up for, nothing you would ever sign up for, but somehow, some way, there, there's something valuable for each of us. I think about your story, your desert season that you feel like you're in. Maybe it feels like your life has just been difficulty after difficulty or distant from God, hard to hear his voice, uncertain of what he's doing in you or around you. Maybe you feel just discouraged, even despondent, like there is no point to all of this or just constantly frustrated. You see other people's lives and you certainly know they're having a way better time than you are. Why do they not get to go to the desert? God, why does this seem like my lot in life? Like, why is it that you've just, you just kind of feel this, this disconnect or this testing that is coming from God? And I think my hope is in this conversation today to reconcile these difficult seasons in our heart and our mind. Maybe not make it all better, but at least be able to connect a few dots so that you can walk out of here empowered today to walk into your story as a part of God's story. I hope you would hear that the people of God, they spent 40 years in this desert. That's a long desert. Most of them died in the wilderness because of their continual disobedience and God continually testing and wanting to refine and wanting to pull all these inconsistencies and this lack of faithfulness out of their life, all this idolatry and these other places of worship that they would go. God's trying to purify his people, but their hard heartedness kept them in this desert. My hope is that you would see one, you're not alone. Like there's nobody in this room going through nothing right now. Not a one of us. That every single one of us have a story and we have difficulties and we have deserts that we are facing and that, that, that we are just like the people of God that have existed over the last several thousand years, trusting that our God has something in mind through this desert, that he is testing us, refining us, growing us, maturing us, strengthening us, that he's building endurance and perseverance and all these words that we hate to say because they sound painful. That's what God is wanting to do in us through this season. God wants to use your desert to refine your character. There's immaturities that you've grown up with. There's relational dysfunction that is just normal to you. There is uh, unforgiveness in your story. There's pains and hurts that, that have just persisted in your heart and in how you view people and how you relate to others, how you relate to God. 
There is idolatry in your story. There is places where you are refusing to look to God and you are only looking to yourself. These are all places that the Spirit of God wants to get to and to begin to purify, refine, grow, strengthen, mature in you so that you can become who he made you to be. He has a purpose for your life. We talked about it last week that God is inviting you and I to be on a rescue mission with him, to see lives changed through us. When, when we say as a church, we exist to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time, that means you and I got to grow and mature to become someone that God can use to see people around us in our workplaces, our schools, our city, know who Jesus is through us. He's got to prepare us. When you and I enter into a relationship with God, we do so through Jesus Christ. To follow Jesus is to die to ourselves and become more like him. That is code language for transformation. You are going to have to change, mature, grow, be refined, purified, transformed to be in relationship with Jesus. That's a part of our story. That is part of the goodness of God. He loves you too much to leave you the way you've always been. Broken, messed up, disgruntled, frustrated, annoying, right? God doesn't want you to be annoying. He doesn't. He wants you to actually be mature. He wants you to be someone that people love to be around. He wants you to be somebody that, that people enjoy and, and, and experience his love and his grace and his mercy through. God wants to do this kind of maturing in your life. That's what the deserts are for. So here's the question I have for us today. It's because none of us ever sign up for the desert. How do we do the desert well? It usually surprises us. It usually catches us off guard. But when we are in it, how do we do it well? I don't think this is the question most of us ask. Most of us ask, how do I get out of it as quick as I possibly can? Let's be honest, right? But I really believe that God is the one that decides. You'll be there as long as it takes to refine, to mature, to grow, to purify, whatever he wants to do in us. And he is the decider of that. And so my, my question for us as God's people is, God, if you want to mature me through this desert, through this season, this difficulty that I'm in, how do I do this well? How do I not be like Israel who just dies in the desert because of their complaining, because of their grumbling, because of their disobedience, because of their obstinance towards you, because of their hard-heartedness, because of their rebellious attitude towards you? Like all of us can do that in our sleep. We don't need help on that. Complaining, got it, Right? God, how do we do the desert well? You with me on this, real life? You're like, kind of, not really, okay, yes. I think this is, this is so important for our development. In Genesis, or sorry, Exodus 13, right when they come out of the, the water, the, the Red Sea, Pharaoh and his armies are swept away by the, the collapsing waters. God shows up to his people in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And God does this in a real obvious way. He's like, okay, my people need to be led by me into this testing time. And they don't know where to go. They've lived in Egypt their entire lives. They've been in slavery their entire lives, and they need a leader in this craziness that they are heading into. This is the same way that God, when he rescues you um, from your sin and your shame and your your old life, he puts his spirit inside of you, which is in, in the New Testament is symbolized quite often by fire. This presence of God is 
deposited inside of every heart of the believer. That's the presence that God gave them in the wilderness. And what's so interesting, if you read in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17, Pharaoh let the people go, but then God did not lead them on the road that they kind of wanted to go. It was the road through the Philistine people's kind of land. For that way was shorter, but God knew that if they were to face war or a battle right now, they're too weak for that. They can't handle that. And they would just run back to Egypt. And so the cloud by day and the fire by night begins to lead them on the long way. Let's think about this. Like when you and I enter into the desert, it takes a real humility for us to acknowledge that God has a plan, that God knows what's best that God has a way that he is going to lead this life. And I may not like the way I'd like to go the short way, God. I'd like to go the way that makes sense to me and my mind and my life and my plans that I have figured out for this, this purpose that I've created for myself. But there is a relinquishing of all of that when you and I want to do the desert well. It's called humility. That God, you are God, you are in charge, you are my leader, you are the cloud by day and the fire by night. You, by your spirit inside me, are going to to lead every single step of this life. And this is something that God wants to develop in you in the desert. He wants to develop a humility and acknowledgement that he is God and you are not. And for some of us that are really hard-hearted and kind of really prideful, this takes a while to beat this this into submission in our lives. We've got a sinful nature that we were born with. It's because of what happened in Genesis 3. We went over a few weeks ago that Adam and Eve rebelled from God's leadership in their life. And so now every one of us is infected with this nature inside us that says, my way is best. The way I want to go is best. I know best. And that pride keeps us from depending on God in the desert. If you want to do the desert well, you got to learn humility. Humility is is acknowledging that God is God and I am not. That he has a plan and it's better than my plan. And that he has a way. And I may not like the way, but his way is better than my way. The path that he's wanting to lead me on, then God, I'm going to trust you that this is the way that you want me to go. The running app that I use has like these coached runs that you can go on. They're annoying. (laughs) <laughs> you got a guy in your ear, you know, the whole time telling you to speed up, slow down, do you know, all this stuff. And it's great. But one of them is called success. I'm like, this is the desert right here. And it's spelled S-U-C-K-C-E-S-S, right? Like, like suck. This really kind of is not fun, but it's leading toward the success that I, I am planning on or running toward or racing toward. And I, I was just thinking about this this week. Like, like this is so the desert, isn't it? And this is where humility is so important for us, is just to acknowledge, like, this is not fun or what I would want or how I would want life to go. But, but God, I'm trusting that you're in control and that you're good and that you have a plan and you have a purpose. And I can, I can trust that, that your goodness is going to prevail in my story now, your goodness has always been what you have been writing in this whole story. You know where your people are, what they need, what provision looks like. You know, like the manna, the quail, the, the water out of the rock in Exodus uh, 17. I mean, just the way that God was constantly providing for his people amidst their griping and complaining. Like, you can just see through the story of God over and over and over and over again, God is faithful. 
And humility is just acknowledging that. God, you are good. You are faithful. You are going to provide. You are in control. You have a plan. My strategies don't compare to your plans, God. And so I'm going to rest in every single day, every single step, every single bit of leadership. This is why it's so important for us to develop a discerning ear to the Spirit's leadership in our life. What do I mean? You've been given the Spirit of God inside you. But that doesn't mean you know what he sounds like or what his promptings feel like or what it, what it means to actually follow God in a daily conversational way where you hear his voice, are prompted by him, you're carried along by his spirit daily in little tiny moments. Oftentimes we'll cry out to God for direction. We want to hear his voice in really massive moments. But I believe that you get a understanding of his voice in very small, quiet, private moments daily deciding to hear his voice. And the people who do the desert well are humble enough to seek God in the small moments. Not just to wait for the big catastrophes, to go, God, I need you. But daily to go, okay, God, I'm going to work today. I, I got a test to study for today, God. I, I, I got to put up with my boss again today, God. I, I don't know how to keep loving and parenting these kids right now. God, I need your wisdom. Would you show me? Would you lead me? Would you help me to love my spouse today? God, would you give me the courage to be at school with, with your heart inside me today? God, when everybody else is pressuring me to go the way of the world, God, would you give me the courage to stand for you in the midst of all this mayhem my friends are living, God? Like to develop his, uh, an understanding of his voice in those small little moments gives just this opportunity for you to discern God in every moment of your life. And that to me is really the discipline of humility in the desert that I need his voice. Just like they needed the bread every single day, you need his leadership, his direction every single moment of every single day. God wants to get the pride out of us. The pride that says, I don't need you, God. I got life squared away. I got today, this week, this life, I got it dialed in, God. That's all pride. And God wants to get it out of our hearts. His protection, his leadership is better than my best strategies. And I think for me, it helps me just to say this stuff out loud. I don't know how you do it preaching to yourself, but before I ever preach anywhere like this, I got to preach this kind of stuff to myself all the time. I encourage you this way. Okay, God, I'm starting today and I'm trusting you. You're good. I don't know how today's going to go, and I didn't like how yesterday went, but I'm trusting that today, God, you got a plan, and you're in charge, and I'm going to hear from you today, and I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to, this is what you're doing. You're humbling your heart. You're putting yourself in submission to the Spirit of God and the leadership of God in your life, and you're saying and acknowledging, God, you're, you're God, and I'm not. The more that you can acknowledge this, even verbalize this with your, with your spouse, with your kids, with people around you, uh, in your small groups, your connect groups, that you could actually kind of encourage each other in this is so powerful. This is how humility is gained in our lives. It's, it's not us just trying really hard to be humble. Doesn't work. What it takes is just constantly putting yourself in a place of attentiveness to God. Attentiveness to people around you. Humility is, is thinking about yourself way less than you currently are. Here's the trap of the desert. How bad it is, how bad I am, how broken my life is. What am I doing? I am focusing on myself, my difficulties, my pain, my struggle, my, my bitterness from my past. And, and pretty soon we're just kind of 
completely self-consumed, and that is pride. Humility is to get your eyes off yourself, onto God, onto people around you, trusting that his leadership is going to lead you in the place that he wants you to go. The other thing that I think is so essential if you're going to do the desert well, one is humility, two is contentment. The manna, the what is it? What is this stuff that you got coming my way today, God? What is this life? What is this difficulty? What is this that I, I've got going right now? That, that God's provision is exactly what you need. Even if you don't like it or, or want it or see the value of it, here's how good our God is. He knows exactly what you need exactly what it takes to refine you, exactly what you need to get out of you, what needs to be purified. And so contentment is such a powerful tool in the desert for your heart, your mind, and your soul. (laughs) Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, I was reading this this weekend, he said, it is way better to have one handful of quietness than two handfuls of, of striving after the wind. And that's how many of us get after these, these life. We're like, oh, I want it to be this way. And I want life to go this way. And it's just like this constant striving. He's like, just quiet your heart for a second. And, and just acknowledge that, that God is your provider. He's in charge. He understands way more than you do. This is where wisdom starts to really hit your heart is when you chill out for just a second and go, wow, God, you have a plan. You have something that you're wanting to do. And I can trust you in that contentment begins to grow. But see, I'll tell you this, it is massive. How much, how much comparison and complaining destroy contentment in your life? Start looking at other people's stories and their desert and how easy their desert was. You know what I'm saying? You call that a desert? That's like Palm Springs, baby. That's like, that's, that's Maui. Like we're not, that's the wrong kind of sand. Like that is not a desert. Comparison just kills it. Why do they get that kind of desert? Why, why, why? And then you go, maybe you get prideful. Well, they must not be as like, you know, needing as much strength as I do right now, you know? Comparison kills your contentment. Complaining. That's what God was after his people for, was this just constant complaining, grumbling, he calls it all through the Exodus and Numbers not content with what God was doing. And so I would encourage you this way. If you like, how do I grow contentment in my heart? One is this, to celebrate other people's successes, victories in their life. Learn to authentically celebrate it. And I mean authentically, not like this, right? Like, oh, good for you. (laughs) But to like, honestly be like, no, what? What just happened in your life is amazing. That is so cool that God did that or provided that or made that way in your life. That is, wow, what a blessing. To honestly get your heart to where you can celebrate other people's successes, and that that will grow so much contentment in your heart. The other other thing I would say is to celebrate the provision of God in your life. I, I I can't imagine the people of God waking up to another morning of manna, going, "Oh yay, more little wafer crackers on the ground," you know. But to honestly be able to just kind of acknowledge, God, this is your provision. I'm living in a desert right now, and there is no way that there should be food showing up on the ground every single morning. I don't know how you do this, God, but you are doing it, and you are good, and I am thankful, God. Like, to get your heart in that place of honest 
gratitude and celebration of God's goodness and faithfulness in your life is so powerful. This grows contentment in your heart. You don't know what the desert season is going to be, how long it's going to be, how, how much endurance you're going to have to grow, what God is going to purify out of your life. But, but for you to just generate this kind of sense of, of gratitude and celebration in your heart is such an important discipline of your soul. Celebrate the success of others. Celebrate God's faithfulness in your life. It's powerful. The complaining, the grumbling, that is natural. That's normal. That's easy. You could do that in your sleep. But to intentionally actually subdue the sinful nature that tries to crop up and own you and, and, and control your heart and your mind and actually say, no, I am resisting the devil and I'm resisting this, this sinful nature inside me and I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to choose gratitude. I'm going to choose celebration. I'm going to acknowledge the goodness of God even in the desert. And that is, that is a powerful place for you to be. That's a place where transformation can actually start to happen in your life. Many of us do not do this desert thing well. We've just been complaining, grumbling. Numbers 21, God sent serpents into the camp because the people had complained so much. Serpents started biting people. They're dying from these snake bites. Moses cries out on behalf of the people, God, you've got to rescue the people. I mean, these snakes, God's like, we've been complaining so much. Here's what I want you to do, Moses. I want you to fashion this bronze serpent to the top of your staff. I want you to lift it up in the desert. And anybody that holds this serpent on your staff will be healed from the snake. It's the same symbol that our medical professionals use today to symbolize their work of healing and restoration of people's bodies. Jesus references this moment in John chapter 3, New Testament now, he's looking back to this moment in God's story of his people. He said, you know, just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert and everybody who beheld that, that snake were healed. Jesus says, so I, the Son of Man, must be lifted up. And all who behold me, look at me, will experience healing. He said, in fact, I will draw all men to myself if I am lifted up. Think about the hardness of our hearts that creeps in, the complaining, the grumbling, all these things that go on in the desert. How powerful it is just to turn your eyes and your attention off of your desert onto your healer. Jesus said, if you could do this, you will experience my salvation. You'll experience my healing. You'll experience my joy, my transformation. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. It's like Jesus is going, I, I want you to experience the hope that's found in me. But you just over there focused on your desert and how difficult it is and all the grumbling and complaining that you've been doing, it's not getting you anywhere. Look to me. See, this is where a soft heart comes is when we look to Jesus. That's my hope for us as a people. So that we would be a people with soft hearts. A people that are submissive to God's leadership in our lives. Not, not crusty and complaining and arrogant, resistant to his leading. But God, his life is yours. 
You have a plan to use me for your glory and your purposes, God. So here I am. Here I come. Whatever you want to do, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to change, whatever you want to transform, God, this life is yours. I'm yours. Stay in that humble, content place requires us to just look to Jesus. My hope is that whether you know Jesus or not, that you would hear this, that God's love is so good that he sent his son to die for you, to pay the penalty of your sin. Every one of us are separated from God because of our sin. But by his grace and in his love, he sends his son to pay the penalty. Our wages of our sin is death. That's what it costs to be free from our sin. And Jesus willingly took that on himself. And the exchange willingly gives you his perfection so that now when you and I acknowledge our sinfulness, repent of it, turn to Jesus, behold him, look to him, lift him up in our hearts. We are set free from our sin, our shame, our guilt, pain of our past. We are made new in Christ and allowed now to begin to walk toward this potential that we have. This transformation begins in this moment as he gives us his spirit inside of us, the power to overcome sin, death inside of us, become who he made us to be. See, Jesus' church has always been intended to be an empowered people, not just a drifting, wandering people. So God, we just want you to empower us for your purposes. Change us, transform us, whatever you got to do, God. A couple things I want you to really consider today. One is, are you beholding Jesus? Are you looking to him? Are you fixing your eyes, your attention on him, his goodness, his faithfulness in this season? Or you got your focus on yourself and your circumstance and the pain, all the difficulties? Look to Jesus. Maybe for the first time. Maybe it's been a while. Look to him. The other thing I would encourage is this. As a church, we need each other. We need people in our lives. This is why we have groups. This is why we have ways for you to be around other people is because and none of us got the, the ability to just muscle this up and figure this out. We need constant encouragement. The Bible says, as long as it is called today, that's how much you need to be encouraged. And we need to be encouraging each other. Every time it's called today, that's the day that we need encouragement. <laughs> you need people in your life. That's what we're here for. Just to help you connect, help you grow in relationship with other people that can help you endure through the desert well. Do the desert well. I want to pray for you. Would you stand to your feet with me today, real life? God, you see uh, every soul here. You know every story. You know every difficulty. You know the depths of the deserts. You know the, the wickedness in us that you want to purify. You see the, the way we've rebelled and the way that we've resisted. Yet, yeah, God, you draw us back to yourself. Even being here today, God, is a gift that we could hear your voice, hear your leadership in our lives right now, and that we could respond, God. Thank you. For those that are discouraged in the room because of the difficulty of their desert, God, I pray that you would lift their heads and put their focus on you, Jesus, right now. 
Just fill them, God, with a sense of power. That you have them. That you know them. That you see them and that you are leading them, God. That you have not abandoned them. You have not forsaken them, God. That you love them and you are refining them in this desert, God. For those, God, that are just coming to know you right now, Jesus, I pray that you would just give them a soft heart and a willingness, God, to repent of trying to save themselves. God, give them the courage to turn to you wholeheartedly right now, Jesus, and acknowledge that they need a Savior. God, we need a Savior. We need you, Jesus. We love you. In your name, Jesus, amen. Our team's going to lead us in worship here, and this is a chance for you to respond today. Maybe you need to be baptized. That's your next step. Our team would love to meet you in the back. We've got shirts, shorts, towels, everything you need to take that step today. Love to talk with you, pray with you right back there. Let's worship together and let's just acknowledge the faithfulness of God. Celebrate God's provision in the desert today. Come on, let's sing. Wow, what a powerful message. I don't know about you, but I am definitely challenged to ask myself the question, what does it look like to do the desert well? What does it look like to take these hard seasons and depend on God more than my own understanding? Well, we love you so much, church. Thank you for spending some time with us today. If there's any way that we can serve you, feel free to jump into the comments below. We would love to connect with you, but we hope that you have an amazing week. We'll see you next time. Thank you.